Principal Matters Podcast, episode 148. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Where each week, we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. Today, we're going to be discussing managing adult conflicts with my co-host, Jen Schwanke, who's also the author of You're the Principal, Now What? Strategies and Solutions for New School Leaders. She's also the principal of Indian Run Elementary School in Dublin, Ohio. Jen, welcome back to Principal Matters. Thanks so much for joining us and for co-hosting this series. How was your spring break? You know what? It went by in a flash. I think anyone listening will relate to that feeling. I'm not sure what happened, but it felt like I was just getting home and putting down the bag and taking a big deep breath. And now we're back at it in a couple of days. So it was great, but but it went quickly. Well, I know that you did some presentations at ASCD's national conference. Congratulations. I hope you had a great experience there. I really did. I was uh, nervous about it because I was assigned the spot on Sunday morning. That would be St. Patrick's Day at 8.15 in the morning. And I thought no one would come, but we filled the room and had a really, really good conversation with a lot of principals. And you know, that's partly why I'm so excited about today's episode, Will, because a lot, anything that I mentioned about adult conflicts, I got a lot of head nods and a lot of exhausted smiles. I think this is a big topic for principals. I think- I think it is too. And while you were with ASCD, I was in Washington, D.C. presenting on how to involve students in advocacy. And so I was with the National Association of Secondary School Principals and the NAESP, the Elementary Association. They hosted a joint conference together and we did some visits on the Hill and got to connect with principals from around the nation. So I know both of us have been traveling as well as having fun with their families. That's so right. congratulations on your time with your family away too. But Jen, any time of the year is a good time to talk about managing adult conflicts. And when I talk to principals, just like you did at your conference, we so often hear them explaining how surprised they are by the levels of conflicts that they have to resolve, not just from students, but among adults, parents, teachers, and community members. And so I want to dive in first by just talking about the realities that school leaders face. Why do you think that managing adult conflicts is one of our hardest responsibilities? You know, I think a lot of principals had no idea of the depth and breadth of adult conflicts that would come their way. And, you know, principals inherently care deeply about students and the issues that affect students. And so right behind every student is many adults, the teacher, the parent, the neighborhood, the any kind of advocacy group like a PTO. There's a, there's a tribe of adults behind each student or group of students, and they all have opinions. And with opinions becomes conflict. And so it's a responsibility that's very hard to predict. You never know when an adult conflict is going to come your way. And it's tricky because it is rooted in care and it's rooted in, in a desire to do well by kids. You know, I can remember that transition in my own mindset when my oldest daughter came to my school. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I'm no longer just an educator loving all these and supporting and teaching all these kiddos that have, that are surrounding me every day. But now one of them is mine. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, Jen, there was a perspective mm-hmm. shift in the way that I saw parents too, because right. suddenly my heart was way more involved in the work that was going on with my own child's education. And I 
began to see a perspective from parents that maybe I didn't appreciate before. I'm really glad you mentioned that. I asked a group of principals once, how many of you have had or do have your, your own children in, in your school? And the number was was surprisingly high. But you mentioned a perspective change. And I think that might tie back to a desire really that people have to be heard and to be understood. And you're describing a situation where you know that as the principal, but you feel it as the parent. You know that it's a whole different feeling when your child is at the end of the conversation. Right. And maybe we're speaking to some principals who are not serving their own children within their schools, but I think it's important to have that perspective, to understand that when someone comes to see you and they're angry or they're volatile or maybe they're over the top, those emotions are typically accompanied because of the hearts that they have for their right. kids. Even, even the parents that we would call our most difficult and even the parents that we would say, quote unquote, are bad parents, love their kids. Right. And they want what's best for them. And so I think it's important when you're dealing with conflict with adults, and we're talking specifically about parents, but teachers come in with passion and concern too. Everyone comes in because they have a passion for something that they really care about. And I think that's the first important step is to make sure that you acknowledge that they care. This is, you're not just a wooden suit that's going to give someone a quote of what the procedures and policies are. You have to engage your heart too if people are going to actually believe that you care and understand. And then let them be heard and and acknowledge that you understand their perspective. Even if you would never hold that same perspective or even if your perspective is different, I think it's important for people to feel that they're understood. So, you know, if I had a dime for every time I've said, I understand completely what you're saying. Unfortunately, there's another side to that. And then I'll go on to, to do my best at mediating. But to acknowledge what they need to say and that you understand. Principle matters, listeners, in case you don't think we're going to get to strategies, we are. We're going to dive deeply into those later. But we're just taking we do, a moment. We yes, just we're, set, moment. We're, we're just taking a moment to reflect because I think it's important sometimes to first just really dig into the why before we get into the how. And so I want to stay on the why for a little bit. Why do people need mediators? Because that's what principles really become. Why do they need mediators for the work that we do? Whenever we feel passionate about something, whether it's a child or a policy or a procedure or a systematic issue, we tend to lose our minds a little bit, right? We we get so passionate or so angry or so excited or so sad or whatever the emotion is that sometimes we really do lose focus of what's on what's important. The important thing mm-hmm. obviously being the the betterment of the child or the situation that the student is facing. I see this a lot in athletics. I know any principal who oversees athletics is nodding right now. A lot of times parents and adults surrounding an athletic program really forget what's important. And that's where the principal needs to step in as the mediator to keep that focus. So it might not be this specific playing time for this athlete in this game, but the broader focus of the team or the betterment of the child or whatever. So mediators just help keep that focus on what we're trying to do. And it, it that's a monumental task. It's a big mm-hmm. responsibility. Well, and I like that because it reminds me of something a teacher told me once who was acknowledging the perspective of principals versus teachers, because, you know, obviously when our hearts are involved, we have a very close perspective. But one of the things he said to me that was helpful was he said, well, I feel like sometimes you have the thousand foot view of our school or I have the close up view of what's going on with my kids. And and I really like that because 
I believe principals actually can have both. We have the close-up view. You know, we want our hearts involved. We want to care about kids and what's going on. But someone has to be able to fly above the scenario and look down at all the players because there's more than just one person's perspective that counts. And as a principal, you see all of the different clubs and activities and classrooms and kiddos that are involved and the different kinds of parents who may come in and where someone may come in and they have an issue that's burning and passionate for them. That's the most important thing in the world right now. I think it's important for you to acknowledge that that you care about what they're concerned about, but you keep perspective that this is just one of many important issues that need to be managed. And that's where a mediator, I think, is so important. Someone who has that bird's eye view, who can see the bigger picture, um, especially when there's disagreement among parties, right, right. To, to try to bring some some understanding and reconciliation. I'm glad you brought that up because that speaks to the responsibility of it and the heaviness of it. But, you know, a lot of times, especially if you handle it well, the adults in the conflict can understand that there's a bigger perspective. In time, usually they'll say, okay, I get it. You're seeing things that I don't see. And, you know, Speaking of the exhaustion and the heaviness, I think one of the things that's so hard for principals being in this role is that it's never done. You know, I'm a list person. I love my checks boxes. I love saying, okay, it's Friday afternoon and everything is done. And it's not like that with adult conflicts because there's always another one brewing. There's something happening. And so you're, you can never say, mm-hmm. you know, no, I have no problems with the adults in my system. The other point to that, of course, is knowing that there's another one coming it's a tricky balance because sometimes principals will get, you know, CC'd on an email and all of a sudden the pro- that's my problem now. Or somebody, a teacher perhaps or a coach will say, well, we're going to have to meet and I'm going to have the principal come. And that's a tactic that's done to make the other person feel powerful. Like I've got an army behind me. But what that does is draw a principal into a conflict that was not of our creation and now is our problem to solve. It's, and it's exhausting and sometimes comes out of left field. Yeah. And I think that's an important perspective that we'll probably talk about with strategies too, which right. is knowing when to engage as Because just because there's a conflict does not mean that you're the one who's going to be the initial mediator in that situation. And I'll just give you an example. You know, at the secondary level, often parents would want to call me directly when they were upset with the teacher. And at that level, you have students that are young adults who often can be the first line of communication with the teacher. So maybe in that situation, if I'm aware, I'm going to ask well, have you spoken directly to the teacher? And has the student spoken directly to the teacher? Because sometimes when those conversations happen and you can say something to the effect of, why don't you have those conversations first and then come back to me if there's still a conflict? Sometimes those conflicts get resolved before you even have to step in because you've Absolutely. placed that responsibility back on the persons who are really the ones who need to be talking. And how many times when you empowered a student to go talk to the teacher, did the student learn something really, really important, which is, hey, articulate yourself, Mm -hmm. share your concerns. And many times the teacher had no idea. And the teacher will say, oh, that's a great point. Actually, let me, let's sit down and review that test or look at that homework assignment or whatever. And it just dissipates into thin air. And the actual interjection of adult opinion would have muddied the water so much when there was no need for it at all. And I think something else that's important too is that as leaders that you don't start measuring your success by how happy (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good point. There is no measure of success when mediating between adults because sometimes everyone leaves unhappy. 
everyone is still mad, but you know, you've done the fair thing. You've done the right thing. You've done the right thing for a student. It does kind of feel dirty. Sometimes you will mediate like a master and you walk away and think, well, was that successful? <laughs> I, I think I mediated, but it, it doesn't, you know, there's no medals at the end of a long conversation with angry adults. Flip side of that too, is the fact that in reality, your ability to help people solve problems, your ability to do that mediation really is one of the most important parts of your leadership. Right. And I think sometimes, Jen, even the fact that, you know, we principals really are middle management in districts right. when it comes to the fact that we're, we're leading a school, but then we have an entire community around us that's doing other services for schools. Our superintendents and those above us have responsibilities. And our ability to manage those kinds of conflicts often will be what makes their jobs better or worse. Absolutely. When I was a a middle school assistant principal, I set a goal. I didn't want my principal to know what I did all day. I wanted to solve all the problems so they didn't get to him, right? And I still hold myself to that standard as an elementary principal. I feel like if my superintendent forgets that I exist, I'm being successful. Now, that's a double-edged sword <laughs> because I want him to know how great I am, right? But but I want to mediate and I want to resolve the conflicts so that no one ever feels a need to go higher than me. And that's a really tricky and complicated evaluation tool to set for yourself, <laughs> that you mediate so well that no problems ever kind of get outside of your of your school walls because that's not it's not a realistic goal and sometimes people are so mad or so upset that there's no fixing it which we'll talk about later but it's a it is a way to measure yourself yeah. by how well you help other people navigate tricky problems to reset our our mindset here so far we've talked about the why's including that people really do care about their students and issues People really want to be heard and understood. People really need mediators to help them focus. That work of mediation is never done. There is really no measure of success because sometimes people are still unhappy. But also, it's a huge part of our responsibility to help solve people's problems. So with that mindset, all those things that we've said to try to create that reminder of why this is so important, now let's just jump into some of those strategies and scenarios when we're managing situations where people can get pretty ugly. Where do you want to go first? I think the first place to start is with your district's policies and procedures. Everyone knows that these things exist, but it's so important that principals read them and know them. And and let me tell you why. I think we have a vague sense of what's right and what's wrong. But when you have a board policy to back you up and to make a very clear path for you to follow, it really does take some of that pressure off and it takes all kinds of subjectivity out of it. So just as an example, I a couple times have had a parent say, you know, be very angry at a teacher and say, I'm coming in. I want to come in and I want to watch this classroom. And rather than me saying, no, you can't and closing the door, I can say, I understand how you would feel that way. I do want to direct your attention to our board policy, which is clearly outlining why and when visitors can come into the classroom. And it involves the evaluative nature of a parent visit and why we don't let that happen. It involves the safety and security of other students. It involves some paperwork that's signed off. And and usually when you bring out policies and procedures, parents will go, oh, okay, yeah, I don't like it, but I get it. Mm -hmm. And so knowing the policies and procedures on any issue issue as it you know rears its ugly head with adults will really help you feel supported because when you follow policy and procedure you can't be wrong well and what i like about that too jen is that as a mediator and in a lot of cases you're a referee 
And you have to be able to make the right judgment call. And, and as you become more experienced in leadership, you really do begin to determine some nuances in the ways right. that some creativity in the ways that you can help manage kids and situations and parents, but you can't be nuanced until you right. first understand the ground rules. And, and those, those yeah. policies and procedures are your ground rules. Exactly. And, and I'm not saying go memorize them at all. You can absolutely say, wow, that's a great question. I'm sure there is board policy on that. And to make sure that we're all on the same page, I'm going to go back and look into this a little bit more and get back to you. So memorizing the policies is not realistic, nor is it really effective. It can buy you some time if you need to say, you know what, I'm going to find out more and we're going to circle back on this conversation. Well, and knowing your district policies and procedures helps you to be consistent. Right. It helps you keep your promise that to your teachers and your community that you're doing what's consistent and what's expected. And it helps you anticipate ahead of time what the ground rules are. I remember after I had had some experience as a school administrator being recruited by another school. And as I was looking over their policies, because this was a different district, I realized that there were actually some things in their policies that were going to be hard for me to support. And so I actually had a conversation with the school leadership as I stepped in of, are, is this something that we might be able to correct before the coming school year? Because I want to make sure that if I'm going to be implementing these policies and procedures, they're ones that we all agree on. And they were, they were open-minded enough to actually change a policy that I was looking at with them before I was stepping into that position. But that was something I would not have known to have done without a little bit of experience to know that if I'm going to be managing these conflicts, I have to have a policy and procedure that is healthy and, and wise and one that it, that's going to be something I, I feel I can stand behind. Well, that story warms my heart. That's so good because policies and procedures do need reviewed and they do need looked at yeah. with the perspective of people who are in the trenches doing the work. And so we have to, you know, we have to know them in the sense of their applicability too. So the fact that you noticed it, saw it, brought it up and got a receptive audience Man, what a success story that is. And it made you certainly more knowledgeable about the policies and procedures, but also how they apply in, in action, you know? And that's why I think too, with, with those same policies and procedures as school leaders, we have to be open to change. So sometimes right. there may be something that comes to me from a parent and I don't, I may have looked at these policies for 10 years, but every year there's something that may come to my attention that I'm like, hmm, this may not be applicable any longer. And so in our school practice, we often had a, a committee each year that could make recommendations to us on some things that might need to be changed for that coming school year. So it's a fluid document. As, as much that's in there that doesn't change, there are also some things in there that can change. But regardless of the change, your responsibility is to implement and follow those because that's your responsibility as a principal. So I do believe that step one, knowing those policies, knowing those procedures, just like a good policeman on the street, exactly. knowing what you're supposed to enforce so that you can enforce it. And then I think the second thing is, is equally important. You can't just know policies and procedures. You also have to have the right attitude exactly. when it comes to conflict. So let's talk about the importance of keeping your cool. So when, when we were talking about policies and procedures, I thought about a few times I had read policy and I found, felt myself, you know, washed over with relief that something was there in writing. And what that does is it takes away the emotion, really, and it takes away any need to be angry or any need to be combative or any need really to continue the conflict further. It can cool you down, make you more collected, more knowledgeable, and, and speak even in, in language that 
that shows that you are in control of the situation. It just helps you keep your cool rather than get caught up in a wave of emotion with everybody else. Great. So I'm a ticked off parent. Okay. You have um, made a decision about my daughter's skirt dress code. I disagree with, and I am not only that parent who is upset, but I actually show up without an appointment to your school. (laughs) You are in the middle of whatever you're doing and I'm demanding to see you. And your secretary is just sitting there with her eyes popping out because she knows that, okay, this is a parent I can't control and I need you to do something in this situation, whatever it is. And so I'm that parent, you're that principal, Jen. And what are you going to do in this, in this, in this moment? And let's talk strategy and uh, let's, let's work through that scenario. And then let's, let's dissect the strategy for that. Well, that scenario is all too familiar to so many principals, I think. And the, what it does that blurs the lines between um, where and how and when you should meet the line, the lines between that and also what you know would be effective. I think it's very effective to meet face to face with parents. Now, with that said, if somebody roars in the office angry and and you know ready to take names, I will sometimes say, "I absolutely want to meet with you. Can you come back in a couple hours?" And what that does is just diffuse the situation. It it doesn't say that I'm scared to meet with the person. It just gives us a little bit of time, gives me time to maybe figure out what happened and invite the person back in. Mm -hmm. I think when someone is there and wants to talk, that does indicate a situation that needs dealt with. You can't say, you know, you're you're out of control. I'm not going to meet with you. We are not going to discuss this. Send me an email. You can't do that. But you can buy yourself a little bit of time. And that really lends itself to a situation about any kind of conflict, no matter how it comes to you, whether it's an email, whether it's secondhand or thirdhand, or whether it's in person. It is really wise to sit down with the person because that allows you to engage in the emotions of the other person. It allows you to not have to interpret a message or write a message that feels nebulous or unclear. It takes interpretation out of it and and really gets you down to the human level. I agree. And then there's there are some practical things to do in those situations, which may sound really elementary or common sense, but I just think they're worth repeating. And a lot of it has to do with body language, uh-huh. the words that you use, how you control those conversations, what you're doing during those conversations with people. So when you have someone that walks in your office like that, and it may depend on the relationship that you have with this person before already some other context, but typically you're going to want to communicate whether or not you can speak at that time. And if you have an opportunity to shake their hand, treat them like you would someone that that you're bringing into as a guest, not, not as an intruder, acknowledging the fact that I know you really care about this situation and so do I. So let's sit down and have this conversation together, bringing them into an office that is a physical, hopefully a physical environment yes. <laughs> that's welcoming, a place that looks orderly and organized. You, you don't want your office to look like chaos if you want it to be a place where people feel like they're going to be listened to and, and that you're professional. And then, you know, in those conversations, what are some things, Jen, that you can be saying or doing that can reassure them that you're listening, which is the first important thing that they feel like they're being heard? I think you touched on so many components there. We could talk for hours on them. Once you get them into your safe and welcoming space, you know, literally to move a chair so that it's easier for them to sit in and say, have a seat. I'm so sorry that, that we have some tough things to talk about that brought you here, but we can, we can do this together. We'll figure it out to quickly establish a team approach and to say, we're in this together 
to acknowledge the feelings that are in the room and say, come on, let's, let's work through this together. And I'm glad you talked about body language because little simple things like crossing your arms or crossing your leg in a way that either communicates anxiety with the flipping of a leg, you know, back and forth, or, or that communicates calm or that communicates that you don't care, you know, whatever message you're sending, you have to just be aware of. I think it's helpful to speak in a calm voice, to speak softly. Don't make aggressive body language movements. Now, with that said, sometimes parents will come in and they'll be posturing themselves. And you'll have to make a decision as to whether to diffuse it with your own body language or your own words or to postpone the meeting until the posturing part is over. Because if if somebody is, is trying to bully, for lack of a better word, bully you into cowering in the corner so that they get their way, that's not effective. And so you'll need to acknowledge that, recognize your role in it, and determine what steps are next. You know, so often, those are great takeaways, Jen. So often when a parent starts those conversations, they're not just posturing with their bodies, but they're also posturing with their words. And it's so common for parents, especially when they're upset about a decision that you're making. I know we're focusing on parents right now. This applies to any adults. But in this situation that we're talking about with the discipline of a student, often they'll begin with some generalized statement about discipline of your whole school. They're going to start by saying, well, I can't believe my child is being asked to do this when I know if I walk down your hall right now, I'm going to see X, Y, Z. Or I've talked to this parent who's already told me that their kid gets away with blah, 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 blah. And so how do you manage it when when you start hearing these verbal posturings that the parents are doing to try to dissuade you or push you off of, of policy? That is a tactic. We're going to talk quite a bit about tactics later, but, you know, whenever you have a conflict with someone, uh, you know, again, let's stick with parents, although it could be any, any adult, we want to feel fortified. You know, I am not the only one that feels this way, or I have heard from others that this is an issue. And what I tend to do is say, well, that isn't exactly accurate. I would love the chance to explain what I think you may have heard and what it actually looks like in reality in the hallways of this school. So I'll acknowledge that they would have heard it, but then jump on the opportunity to give them a different perspective. In terms, that is very close to the tactic people use when they, you know, will bring a spouse or bring a, you know, a grandparent or whatever. It's fortifying themselves. So they feel like it's two against one or three against one or a whole community against one. But again, that misses the whole point because the principle isn't the one. It's not the principle against the world. It's the principle being the mediator between two dissenting opinions. And so remove yourself from the against one. Don't be that person. And so, you know, recognizing Mm -hmm. the physical or the verbal corralling that's putting you as the us against the world, you know, don't don't let that happen because that's not really what it is. Well, and I think it's important to when you're in that situation that you remember what your dual responsibilities are, which is listening but then reaching some kind of solution in the same moment. So as people are verbally posturing or physically posturing, whatever that is, your first goal is to try to establish with them, you know, obviously that you're open, that you're welcoming them, that this is a professional setting, but that you're actually going to try to understand their perspective. And so sometimes that just means taking responsibility for a situation. Maybe they're upset about something that they maybe they need to hear an I'm sorry first. Right. Have you ever had those experiences? Yeah. And you know how you, we've all seen people do this or maybe even in the movies where someone apologizes and it's so disingenuine or it is so, um, (laughs) so uh, what's the word? Like pulled from a can. I am sorry you feel that way. People hate that. They feel condescended to and they feel that it's inauthentic. And so I usually am pretty sorry and I try to find what I'm sorry about. So it may be, I am so sorry I didn't see this problem coming 
or I feel like I should have intervened earlier. I'm sorry about that. So I will find what it yeah. is that's making me feel regretful. And I'll say that. Sometimes I'll say, I'm sorry, I had no, right. I had no knowledge about this. And just starting with an, I'm right. sorry, will disarm a lot of situations because the person is, you know, then knows you're human and knows that you'll step up and take some little smidgen of responsibility for where we are right now. I am so sorry that you had to leave work to come up yes, with this conversation that's because a great I, know important I know how important your time is and, right. and, and I know how important your kid is to you. And, and I want to be able to find a solution together where we can both know that we're doing what's in the best interest of your kid. And sometimes that's possible depending on the emotion of the situation, but taking responsibility for what you can take responsibility for and apologizing where it's warranted. I think it's an important, it's a good way to, to kind of relieve some of that pressure that, that might be in the room. And have you ever apologized when you can't find much to apologize for? Have you ever done this one, Will, <laughs> where you say, I am so sorry your son is anxious about this, or I would never want your daughter mm-hmm. to feel this way. I'm sorry. So you take it out of the adults completely and put it on the kid saying, I'm sorry that your child is experiencing this. That is a whole other way of apologizing right. that acknowledges the team approach. And it can be really, really effective. Right. Or even acknowledging the pressures of being a parent, you know, and being a parent, sometimes that's helpful too, when you can say, wow, being a parent's hard, isn't it? I know because my daughter's here too, or my son's here too. And I know how hard it is for me to watch the decisions that they're trying to make or to understand how to handle the situation. Let's, let's figure this out together. And so sometimes just putting yourself into their shoes helps them see that you're not just a person. You're not just the principal. You're, you are, you're a parent, you're, you're a human um, who wants to help them resolve that issue too. Well, Jen, there are a lot of other strategies that we're going to jump into in next week's episode because we're going to wrap up this conversation right now by just kind of summarizing where we've hit so far. And Principal Matters listeners, managing adult conflicts is one of the hardest responsibilities that we have. You never do it perfectly. You never learn all the tactics and techniques, even when you think you're pretty good at it. Yes, it's so <laughs> The true. next day, you're going to find something that's going to teach you that you still have room to grow. But just to summarize some of the things that we've talked about earlier, we talked about the why, but some of the strategies that we've just hit on in this week's episode is knowing your district's policies and procedures, keeping your cool in situations when people are escalating, Meeting in person where possible because that face-to-face often diffuses a lot of conflict that can't be handled over the phone or through emails. Filtering out gossip versus truth and, and kind of making sure that you set the tone for what you're really talking about. And then being willing to take responsibility for what you can. Apologizing for the things you can apologize for and then setting the tone, hopefully, for some good listening and some good conflict resolution. And so, Jen, next week, I want to jump into some additional tactics and strategies of ways to to manage those conversations, not just with parents, but also with teachers, because we work with adults. We work with community members and parents and teachers who often, believe it or not, and I know this is no surprise for school leaders, but sometimes teachers don't get along either. Or there may be <laughs> conflicts that you have to resolve where you'll be mediator between adults that you would assume are getting along, but they need somebody who can step in and resolve that conflict too. Any other thoughts before we wrap this up? No, we've just still got so much to talk about. I'm really looking forward to next week. We'll, ha- we'll cover a lot of ground next week. Principal Matters listeners, I want to thank you for taking time this week to listen, to learn, and to grow. And Jen, thank you so much for co-hosting today and for these weeks together as we're doing strategies and solutions that work for school leaders. Until next time, thanks for doing what matters. We'll see you next week. 
If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.